Columbus, welcome to Bobby Connor. Good. God bless you. Thanks, man. God bless you. Thank you. Please be seated. He looked kind of at home in those woods, didn't he? You know? Oh, I love woods. <laughs> yeah, I really, I do. I enjoy uh, getting out in the woods and the rugged places. Uh, I actually uh, live in, a, I have a plot of land where it is, is a Bigfoot siding. It's registered in the book. Yeah, isn't that something? Sasquatch, they think, you know, it's, uh, isn't that crazy? But anyway, God bless you. I'm glad you're here. It's Mother's Day. We, we really thank God for the mothers. The Bible talks about uh, how precious mothers are and how precious it is to be a, a virtuous woman. You ought to read Psalms. Uh, you ought to read Proverbs 31. A whole 31st chapter of Proverbs is about the godly mothers and the godly women and uh, how they're uh, very, very uh, noble in the kingdom of God. Uh, as far as I can decipher in the Bible, the smartest man next to Jesus Christ, the smartest man that's ever lived next to Jesus Christ, according to the Bible, was Solomon. And if you study his life, here's what he says. I adhered to the teachings of my mother. Uh, we would say in Texas, I did what mama taught me. <laughs> and can you imagine that? Uh, that that uh, the, he, he accredited that wisdom to what his mother taught him. I adhered to the teachings of my mother. And so we do honor the mothers today. And God bless you. And uh, thank you for your service. You know? <laughs> wow. Wow. Uh, I'm telling you guys, uh, they're tougher than we are. You let a, you know, I'm telling you, they really are. Uh, you know, that Bible talks about giving honor to the women because they're the weaker vessel. Listen, they're, they're, uh, listen, uh, I know the Bible's correct, but I'm telling you, uh, I know most, uh, churches would, the doors would have been closed if it hadn't been for godly women. I can show you in the Bible where they carried the torch, and it's wonderful in it. So God bless you, mothers. Uh, none of us would be here without you. Yeah, isn't that something? Yeah. All right. Uh, uh, I want to talk to you about the book table just a moment. There's books out there, and I hope you'll go buy every one of them, and that way we won't have to uh, be hauling them back and shipping them different places. You say, what are they about? Here's one called The Shepherd's Rod. Now, this is, pretty, uh, this is a, uni a unique and unusual book. For 23 years, on the Day of Atonement, we have this encounter and visitation from Jesus Christ. Now, let that soak in a moment. For 23 years, this, this coming September will be 24 years. On the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, I have this visitation from Jesus Christ. He'll tell me some of the things that's going to happen in the future. I write it in a book called The Shepherd's Rod. This is the one for 2018. This is one we're living right now. And this one is talking about sonship. It's time for the ring and the robe. And you remember the story in the uh, Gospel of Luke where they tell the story about a man having two sons. One took off and he ended up in a pig pen. The Lord told me, he said, I'm tired of my people in the pig pen of poor perception. They don't understand who they really are. And remember that son came to himself and said, I'm going back to my father's house. And I'm going to say to my father, Father, I'm no more worthy to be your son. Just make me a servant. And that's not the will of God. The father said, get a robe and get a ring. This was my son who was dead, but he's alive forevermore. The robe and the ring talks about authority and royalty. And I'm telling you guys, God wants us to get up out of the pig pen of poor perception and realize that we're sons and daughters of the Most High God. And we're going to learn more about sonship in the days to come than we've known in our whole life. First John, say First John. 
chapter 3, verse 1, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we would be called, classified, and identified as the sons of God. Now, the word sons of God there is weos. It means a full-grown, mature Christian that's ready to take over family business. And boy, God wants us to grow up, and we need to grow up fast and move from mere children uh, into sons of God where he can give us the kingdom like he wants to do. And you're going to learn because you, here's, here's what it says. You say, well, how can I really make sure I am a son of God? Romans 8, 14 says, as many that are allowing themselves to be led by the Holy Spirit, they are the sons of God. Wow. And the Bible said, if you're a son, then you're heir to the kingdom. Now you say, what does that mean? It means you're co-owner of the whole universe. That's what the Bible teaches. You'll find in this book, you're co-owner of everything Jesus has. And the book of Hebrews says, he's the rightful owner of the whole universe. Wow. You know, sometimes you go to the bank to get a loan. They go, well, what are your assets? Well, you can say, well, I own, own half of the whole universe. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty good credentials, isn't it? Wow. That's pretty amazing. So uh, the shepherd's rod, I hope you'll read it. In here is where we predicted about uh, uh, God's people praying for uh, North Korea and for God to move in that thing. And I, I wrote, it's a ticking time bomb, but the church by intercessory prayer can defuse it. Is something good happening in North Korea? Oh my goodness, did you see them step across the demilitarized zone and the uh, North Korea and South Korea meeting and our president's going to be meeting in a few days in Singapore with the leader of North Korea. These are unprecedented days and it's prophesied in this book. Another one we prophesied in this book that you can see on the news is the a volcano over there in Hawaii. I said, you'll see ash in the air and you'll see rivers of flowing fire, the, the lava. I'm telling you guys, we, you need to understand the prophetic word gives us guidance to face what we're facing. And here's what it says. It says, trust the Lord, you'll be established, believe his prophets and you'll prosper. That's what it says in the Bible. So you need to hear the prophetic word because God won't do things on earth, according to the Bible, without telling first what he's going to do to the prophets. That's what it says. Amos 3, 7 says, surely, it means absolutely, God will not do a single thing on planet earth without first revealing to his prophets what he's going to do. Now, I talk fast, don't I? Oh, Lord. People go, why do you talk so fast? I'll tell you, I used to buy television time and I'm cheap. Do you see what I'm talking I figure if I talk real fast, I'll get my money's worth. But since Pastor Jim is paying for this, I'll just slow down. I hope you'll get this book. I really, really mean it. Uh, listen, I, let me read you a little clip off the back. It says, shifting from servants to sonship. Beloved, please believe me when I say the devil hates the message of sonship. He wants you to remain as just a slave. The Bible said, though, you're heir of everything. If you don't understand your heir of everything, you might as well be a slave. That's what the Bible says in the book of Galatians. I want you to move from, now listen, don't get me wrong, servanthood is wonderful. But we got to move out of servant, being a servant to a son. And it's glorious and it's wonderful. All right. So uh, visit the book table. Uh, I'd ask them to bring me the other book we've got. It's Legacy and Lineage Line. And they told me, said, well, we've only got two books left. So we've got three in the house, I guess. The one I've got in my hand, the two out there at the book table. This book will help you break off family curses and ancestral curses and show you how to speak a blessing upon your children and upon your descendants. Here's a great verse about your descendants, Isaiah 44, 3 and 4. 
I'm talking fast again. Isaiah 44, 3 and 4. It says, I will pour water upon him that is thirsty, floods upon dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your descendants, and they will spring up like willows by a riverbank. I'm telling you, Mom and Dad, if you're hungry and thirsty and desperate for God, your children will flourish. The Bible said if the parents eat bitter fruit, do living bad lives. If the parents eat bitter fruit, the children's teeth get set on edge. How you live will affect your descendants from now on. Legacy and Lineage Line. Now, I know there's just three books out there, but you can order them from the bookstore there in the office if you want to. But here's what the deal is. Legacy is what you leave behind. Lineage Line is who you leave behind, and they're inseparable. How you live will affect your descendants from now on. Do you understand you and I today are forging the future our grandchildren will live in? That's pretty wild, isn't it? You and I are forging the future our grandchildren will live in. Well, we're going to have a good time today. Don't go to church and not have a good time. Wow. You know what? I found out some people have just enough Jesus to be miserable. They got him in the the head but not the heart. They got a lot of rules and regulations, stipulations. God detests that. All the the rituals in in the Bible was to point us to the relationship. But religion is when you cut off the relationship and hang on to the ritual. God don't like the ritual. He loves the relationship. Every, every ritual in the Bible was to bring us to a relationship. But when we junk the relationship and hang on to the ritual, that, that's, a, that's religion. And Have you read the Bible? God don't even like religion. Here's what he says with it. You ready? Away with your new moons and your Sabbaths and your holy convocations. They weary me. Wow. One place said, I detest it. Wow, that's God talking about religion. There's a great difference between religion and relationship. Now, God loves relationship. He wants you to love him, and he wants you to understand his Father's heart for you. God wants better for us than we could engineer for ourselves. One time, Jesus walked up to me. He said, Bobby, I give you my personal permission to attempt to exaggerate what I'm about to do. Now listen, being a preacher, I said, okay, but I'll need a verse for that. He said, no problem, Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 says, now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or dare to imagine. He's able to do things, isn't he? Genesis 18, 14 says what? Oh, I'll tell you what it says. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is it, that's the question. You want, you want to find the answer? Look all the way over there to Luke 137. Luke 137 says this, with men, things are impossible, but with God, nothing is impossible. Isn't that wonderful? Say yes. yes. Job 42.2 says, I know you can do anything and nothing you plan to do can be stopped. Job 42.2. All right. Oh, man. People say, well, uh, yeah. I like when it gets like this. I, I do, because people go, whoa, he don't know what he's going to do. I tell him, oh, no, I'm like a mosquito at a nudist colony. <laughs> There's opportunity everywhere. You know what I mean? I'm just looking for the place to light. That's, now, don't think about that too long. <laughs> I want to talk about uh, two, things to, two things together. So I'm going to give you two messages. Can you do that? You know? One, two. That's harder than you think. I dare you try it. Yeah. yeah. One, two, three. It's pretty hard to do, but you think you, 
I've practiced her while I fly a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, I got two things I want to talk about today. What to do when you don't know what to do. And then what to do when you don't want to do nothing. I'll show it to you in the Bible in a moment. So I'm going to talk about that. And then the next thing I'm going to talk about is hang on to hope. Hold on to your promise from God. One day can change everything. So let's do this one before we do what to do when you don't know what to do. Do you want to? Take your Bible. You got a Bible? Psalms 90. Psalms 90. Uh, I'm sorry. Psalms 30, verse 5. Let's look at Psalms 30, verse 5. All right. I'm settling down. Psalms 30, verse 5. Here's what the Bible says. God's anger. God's anger. For his anger is but for a small, tiny moment. But his favor is for a lifetime. Or in his favor is life. Weeping may endure through the night, but joy comes in the morning. Now, I want you to hang on to something now. I want you to realize one day can change everything. Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. You and I need to be positioning ourselves to embrace God's dawning of a new day. I'm going to show you just real quick how one day can change everything. I I want you to look at it. Probably one of the most vivid stories about hanging on to hope because one day can change everything is found in Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, we enter a story there. Let's just turn there. We got got time. My plane don't leave till 3. So go to Mark chapter 4 just just real real, uh, quick, if you will. And I want to show you something. Uh, It's a story about... uh, Jesus and his disciples in uh, Mark chapter 4, they're going to get, uh, Jesus says to him there in Mark chapter 4, he's coming to the end of a day of ministry. And so verse 36, and he says, uh, leaving the thrones, they took him as he was and they got into a little boat. They're fixing to leave a ministry session, get in a little boat and go across a lake. So Jesus says to the boys, get in, we're going to the other side. So they get into a boat. Now the disciples, before they were disciples, what were they? Most of them. Fishermen, they were used to waves, wind, water. So they get into the boat because Jesus said, boys, get in the boat. We are going to the other side. Don't forget that. They get in the boat. Jesus goes to sleep on a leather pillow. Let me read that for you. Uh, but he himself was in the stern of the boat asleep on a leather cushion. And they, that, so Jesus gets in the boat, goes to sleep. And the disciples, they're going across this little uh, uh, ocean, this little sea. And a horrendous storm comes. A storm produced by the devil himself. And the little boat's rocking and it's waving. And, oh, man, I'm sure when it first started, the disciples thought, oh, you know, we've handled this. But it gets bad. And if you're reading this, I'm telling you, if you're reading this in the Greek... It is massive drama. They're screaming, these disciples. It looks like the boat's going to sink. And they, there's Jesus asleep. And these disciples are paranoid. They go, Master, get up. Don't you, Master, get up. Don't you care? We're going to drown. Now, I am so glad Jesus didn't get up and go, ah! Nah, he's by nothing terrified. And if you walk with him, you won't be either. Psalms 27 verse 1 The Lord is my light and my salvation Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even my foes Come up to eat of my flesh They stumble and fall The whole army should camp around about me I will not fear That's Psalms 27 You ought to memorize it Well anyway So Jesus They wake him up The disciples are afraid They're going to drown Wow 
Now, here's what Jesus does. Now, if you're reading from the King James Version of the Bible, I, I, oh, it's pretty sad. It says Jesus gets to the boat and he says to the storm, peace be still. That ain't what he says. And that's not how he said it. Like I said, if you're reading this in the Greek, I mean, it is high drama. These men are screaming, get up! This is it! wonder what caused such paranoia. I know what it was. Same thing that causes you to doubt. They didn't listen to what Jesus told them before they started the journey. Get in. We're going across. I didn't hear anything about Coast Guard. Rest. I didn't hear anything about resuscitation, drowning. Did you? So they didn't, they didn't listen to the instructions. So Jesus gets up and he, I'll tell you what he did say. He's looking at the raging wind, the flashing, lashing water. And here's what he said. You ready? Now, I'll say it. He said, here's what he said. Shut up and lay down. hooked around my ear just in case it starts working so I'll try to be careful I know y'all are sensitive to hearing till you get in a concert or something turn it up yeah anyway here's what Jesus said to this raging shut your mouth and lay down he used a word called get gagged be gagged and when he said it the storm goes and it gets as tranquil as glass that's what happened. And then he looks at the disciples, and here's what it says. They were horrified of the storm. Now they're petrified of who's in their boat. That's what it says. What manner man is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? That's what they said. So I said all of that as introduction to get us to chapter 5. <laughs> because the little boat gets across the other side of the sea, and the gangplank comes down, and Jesus steps out. Mark chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Immediately! Right then, there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Whew. That's a, you, you need to see him. He's been, he's not, he does not have one stitch of clothes on. I call him the nude, rude dude. He's coming out of the tombs on the mountainside, and he's running down to meet Jesus. And there he comes. He's matted with sores and scars and scabs because he's been shutting, cutting himself with stones, trying to commit suicide over and over and over, screaming and screeching night and day, and nobody could tame him. They couldn't chain him up because he'd, the demons in him could break the chains. He runs to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, thou son of the most high God, why have you come? Have you come to torment us before our time? And then they get into negotiation with Jesus, the demons do. He said, what is your name? Guy said, my name's Legion because there's a bunch of us. And Jesus says to these demons, they said, don't send us out of the country. There's a bunch of pigs up on a hillside. Remember the story? You can read it, Mark 5. And it, the demons were saying, let us go get in the pigs. Remember that? And Jesus gave them leave. He gave them permission to come out of this demon-possessed man and go get in the pigs. Demons go up there and get in about 2,000 pigs. And it said the pigs go nuts. They jump and run and jump into the ocean and drown. 
<laughs> I'm on rotten mic number three. No. <laughs> the pigs jump into the ocean and drown. About 2,000 of them. Wow. Now, I'm telling you, I don't know how you look at that, but that's a mass case of swanicide. <laughs> don't you think? Pretty wild. There's 2,000 dead pigs bopping around out in the ocean. So the guys keeping the pigs ran into town and said, you better get out here. Something's coming down. So those that own the pigs go out to see what's happening. And here's what they see. They see the man that had been naked, the man that had been suicidal, the man that had been living in the tombs. Now they see him seated, clothed in his right mind. It looks like they'd have fell on their face and go, glory to God, hallelujah. This is what we've been longing for. Not the pig owners. The pig owners said to Jesus, get your stuff and get out of here. It costs too much to have you in our community. They'd rather have the profit of the pigs than the salvation of this poor demonized man. Wow, so Jesus is getting his, he's getting his gear. He's going to get back in the boat. And the demon-possessed guy that had been healed, he said, oh, Jesus, Jesus, let me go with you. And what does Jesus say? No. Go back to your friends. Go back to your family. Show them, teach them, tell them, reveal to them what great things the Lord has done for you. And it says he went back to Decapitus. Decapitus means a 10-city region down the coastline. He went back and it says everyone that heard him marveled. You ask any theologian, it means everyone that heard him was converted. Now, we're talking about hold on to hope. What a difference one day can make. Okay, watch it. In that man's life, he woke up a screaming, scratching maniac, and he goes to bed a missionary. That's about as big a transformation as you're going to see. Hang on. God can change everything in one day. Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. The next one would be 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6, if you read it, it's it's horrible. The people of God are in a famine because an army has surrounded the city of Samaria, shut down all food routes in, and it is horrible. It's one of the most severe famines mentioned in human history. They're cannibalizing their children. It's unheard of. The famine is so severe, they're taking... They're taking their children, dismember them, and boiling them in a pot and consuming them. That's what it says in your Bible. You open it up to 2 Kings chapter 6. You hear a, a king is walking on a wall. He's so distraught over the situation that they're in. And a woman is screaming, King, King, help me. And he said, oh, dear, I can't help you. There's no oil in the vat. There's no grain in the bin and here and then he asked her it's almost unbelievable second kings the king asked her said why is it that you're at this point of aggravation frustration and this is unbelievable the woman says in reply to his question why are you so upset it's because of her she told me yesterday let's eat your son and then tomorrow we'll eat mine then it says in your Bible, so we boiled my son and ate him. And now she's hidden her son. Wow. I wouldn't believe it if it wasn't in the Bible. Then you had to fast forward just a little bit over to 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 1. It starts with the English word, T-H-E-N. Then, then, 
That means it puts it right back in the middle of the scenario we're talking about. Then there stood a prophet in the midst of the people and said, about this time tomorrow, there'll be so much food in this village, they'll be basically giving it away. Good Lord. I thought, boy, that's amazing. And there was a a wise guy, a counselor that the king listened to. When the prophet gave the good word, the counselor said to the king, don't believe a word of it. It won't happen. Just hot air. Even if God ripped on heaven, he couldn't do that. So the prophet said to the gainsayer, okay, buddy, you'll see it, but you won't get to participate. And then the story shifts. Ting, ting. Second Kings, it says, and there were four lepers laying outside of the gate. Good God, I want to hear about four sick dudes. I want to know who's getting the groceries. Don't you? Where do these four sick dudes come in? You know, I write books. They tell you if you're going to author books, keep the story flowing. I mean, we hit a bump here. From a prophet saying about this time tomorrow, there'll be enough food in this village. They'll be basically giving it away. A guy going, that's a big lie. never will work. Four sick lepers laying outside the gate. Advanced leprosy. Woo. Have you seen, well... Study about it. No, don't study about it. Advanced leprosy pieces fall off. Fingers, ears, nose. These four guys are in advanced stages of leprosy. They're rottening away. The only way to survive is to take a rough weed and rough away the, the tutorizing flesh till you get down to f- fresh meat. They're just living in a pus pool. I've named one of them Limpin' Larry. Can't you see him laying out there? And I, I can hear him talking. One of them says, yeah, you're half the man you used to be. Yeah, but you're all thumbs. <laughs> and then I love these old boys. They're laying out there as weak as they can be. And here's what they said. This is amazing. This is Second Kings 7. Here's what, here, here's what happens. The four lepers begin to take inventory of their life. They said, wait a minute. Hold on. If we lay here, we're going to die. If we go back in Samaria, we're going to starve. Our only alternative is to get out and challenge change. Let's go find out about this army that shut down the food route. Have you noticed this? If we lay here, we're going to die. If we go in there, we're going to starve. If we go out there, the worst thing we can do is kill us. Have you read? We don't get out of this thing called life alive. You understand that? Boy. I don't think this one's working. Is this? Yeah, look, I'm back to normal. Thanks. Why hold that one? See, I went to preaching school. Let me tell you about preaching school. Here's what preaching school said. Uh, I, 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 didn't pa- I didn't pass. They said, when you take the podium, stand directly. Don't frail around as though you're tempting to fly. This is what they told me. They said, and seemingly make eye contact with everyone in the room. And then he said, should you find it necessary to make a strong point? This is my preaching class. Take two and a half steps, turn slightly, and gesture. (laughs) You know, I'm not going to take something like that. You know what I did? I stood up and I said, oh my God, I feel like I'm in an Arthur Murray dance studio. (laughs) Can't you see John the Baptist going, was that one or two? We better get out of all of that kind of mess and just be real. So those, yeah, those, 
Those four sick lepers said, let's get out there and challenge change. So here they go. Well, here they go. And since when they get out there to the army's camp, the whole camp is there, but no soldiers. They fled in haste. It says in your Bible, there's food in abundance. There's gold and silver in abundance. There's beautiful clothes. And boy, these lepers are going, Eureka! Woo, woo, woo. And they're taking the food. They're taking the gold. They're taking the silver. And they're hiding it. And then they go, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. This can't be just for us. What about our brothers back there in Samaria that are shut in? You say, how can this be relevant to us today? Uh, you're a spirit-filled church. You found the bounty of God. And there's people today meeting in churches don't even believe there's a Holy Ghost. See, we found the feast, and they're still in the famine. He said, let's go back and share with them what we found. So here they come. They go back. King, we found it. It's everything you need. But let's wait a minute. What happened to the army? Where did they go in such a haste? They left everything. I mean, they left the keys to the Bentley. Young, listen, they left the checkbook. Never, you see, they run off and left everything. Here, you have to study 2 Kings 7 to find out what happened. It says, when the lepers went out, God sent a sound before them. And the whole army heard the sound of chariots and shields and swords. Who was coming? Limping Larry <laughs> and his three buddies. But the army heard a massive army coming. And they go, we better get out of here. See, God will put the fear of God in your enemies if you'll obey God. No weapon formed against you works. Isaiah 54, 17. Anyway, there they are. King on the gate. Finally, the king, uh, the, the guy again said, no, no, it's a trick. But finally, the king opened the gate. And they brought the food. And they brought it in such abundance. The gate was open. And everybody rushed out desperate for the food. And some poor soul got trampled. Who was it? Remember the guy that said it ain't no way it's going to happen? The prophet said, okay, buddy, you'll see it, but you won't get to participate in it. Wow. He's the guy that got trampled. But see, hold on. What a difference one day makes. They woke up in the world's worst famine where they were cannibalizing their children. They go to bed that night in a feast. Hold on to hope. One day can change everything. Well, that's that message. There's more to it, but we're moving on. What do you do? Professionally? Yes. I work for a company called Morgan Stanley. Do investment. Oh, man. Tell them don't spend more than they make. That's, that's pretty good. Well, God bless you. Uh, God's up to something. He's tired of the devil stealing the wealth of the kingdom. Amen. I promise you before God, the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous, and it's about to change hands. I promise you. You say, well, we've heard that verse forever. The wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. Yeah, we took off after the wealth, and it disqualified us from, and left, we forgot the righteousness, so it disqualified us from receiving the wealth. But now we're after the righteousness, which will qualify, qualify us to receive the wealth. Okay, anyway. The wealth of the world's been juggled, but God told me I'm going to change hands with it. So let's go to the next message, what to do when you don't know what to do. Let me preface it by saying this. You may be some uh, deceived person in this room or watching that would say, Oh, Bobby, that's not applicable to me because, brother, I always know what to do. 
Well, let's me and you chat for a moment. You're an idiot. I promise you from God, he will see to it that you get in a dilemma above your pay raise. He will see to it. Why is he trying to hurt you? Nope. He's trying to instruct you. I'll show it to you. You'll see it in the Bible. You ready? Yes, Bobby, yes. What to do when you don't know what to do? Second Chronicles chapter 20. Second Chronicles chapter 20 is a story about another army in another city. There's a king called Jehoshaphat. And uh, boy, it is something. All the Moabites and the Hittites and the Amorites, a whole bunch of bad people. Their armies have come up against Jehoshaphat and the people of God in, in Judah. And so anyway, here's what happens. They come and say, oh, they're everywhere. They're entrenched around about us. And there's a great multitude. And it says this, that uh, there's no way in the world that Jehoshaphat and the people of God could defeat these armies that have come up against them. But Jehoshaphat, I think, does. Well, y'all want to look at it? I guess we could look at it in the Bible. That wouldn't be bad, would it? No, Bob. Be glad. It'd be nice. I'm in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Verse 1, after this, the Moabites, the Amorites, and the Munites and the, uh, came up against Jehoshaphat to do battle. It was told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude has come up against us from the Dead Sea and from Edom. And behold, there in Hazar Tamar, which is in Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to determinately seek as his battle need the Lord. He proclaimed a fast in all of Judah. And Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord, even out of all the cities of Judah. They came to ask of the Lord, yearning for him with all of their desire. Verse 5, Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. Verse 6 says, and he said, oh, Lord God. Oh, this is what I think is a stroke of genius. And Jehoshaphat said in front of all the people that were facing a dilemma that seemed like it was unsolvable. And he said, oh, God, oh, Lord God. Our fathers, are you not the God in heaven? And do not you rule over the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hands are not there all power so that none is able to withstand you? Verse 7, did you not, O God, drive out the inhabitants of the land before your people Israel? And what he's doing, he's rehearsing how faithful God had been in the past to a people facing an unsure future. Do you see the genius of that? Oh God, are you not this? Are you not that? Are you not that? And so that was a wonderful stroke of genius, I think. Sometimes we need to look back how faithful God's been to us in the past to face this unsure future. And I'll tell you what, we need to understand God wants you to have a bright future. Here's a great verse about your future. You ready? Yes. Jeremiah 31, 17. Jeremiah 31, 17, you know what it says? I'll tell you, honey. It says, your future is filled with bright hope. Jeremiah 31, 17 says, your future is filled with bright hope. That's a lot better than going, well, buddy, you'll never make it. <laughs> Jeremiah 31, 17 says, your future is filled with brilliant, glowing, bright hope. But here we are. So what to do when you don't know what to do? Uh, they're fasting, they're praying, they're seeking God. They're called a solemn assembly. They're rehearsing how good God's been to the people of God in the past. And then uh, it's, just, it's just, we'll get down to verse 12. Second Chronicles 20, verse 12. Oh, our Lord God. Will you not exercise judgment upon them, the armies that have come up? For we have no might to stand against this great company that's come up against us. Neither know we what to do. What to do when you don't know what to do. Neither know we what to do. Second Chronicles 20, 12. But our eyes are upon you. When you don't know what to do, you've reached the point of you've got to make some kind of decision 
turn your eyes to Jesus. Isaiah 26 verse 3 says, Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee. Psalms 121 verse 1 said, I will lift up my eyes unto the hills from which cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord. So they said, uh, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. See, a lot of people, they use God as a last resort instead of the first resource. You see what I'm talking about? But now they're, they're seeking God. They're praying. They're fasting. They're crying out to him. Verse 13. And all of Judah stood before the Lord and their children and their wives. Verse 14 is paramount. There's that word again. Then, then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehazahel, the son of Zechariah. The Spirit of God falls upon the prophet and says, okay, here it is. You, uh, and he gives them a prophetic word that has never been before in the history of men. He said, yeah, they're coming. But here's what I want you to do. Instead of sending out the soldiers, send out the singers. Study the annals of history. Never in the history of humanity had a war been fought like that. If I'd have been in the prophetic council that day, I'd have go, second opinion. <laughs> Wouldn't you? But that's where you get that famous verse. He, the Bible said you don't have to send out the soldiers, send out the singers. And Jehoshaphat stands in 2 Chronicles 20, 20 says, Trust the Lord, you'll be established, believe his prophets, and you will prosper. So they did what the prophet said. It said, here's all these armies armed to the teeth, armed to the hilt. And here comes uh, the army of Jehoshaphat, the singers. And they're singing something like, Our God is an awesome God. I don't know what they were singing. They were praising God. And it says in your Bible, God set an ambushment. I looked up every Hebrew word I could find about ambushment, and it's not, you know, it's kind of vague what it is, but oh God, it works. It said, We set up an ambushment, and here's what all those alien armies mentioned in chapter uh, verse one said. It said they jerked their sword out and they started killing one another and then kill themselves. The whole army disintegrated themselves, killed each other, and then boom, killed themselves. God's people never broke sweat. Our God is an awesome God. Bop, bop. You do it God's way, you'll get God's victory. Said it took the people of God three days to pick up the bounty. That's the gold, the silver, the spoils of the war. Wow. Went from an impossible situation. What to do when you don't know what to do? See how faithful God's been to you in the past? Find out his strategy for the future and then follow it. Wow, that would be difficult to do now. Send out the singers. But see, Isaiah 48 verse, uh, uh, Isaiah 48 verse 6 says, God loves to do new things. Behold, I do a new thing. It's new now. That was a new thing, wasn't it? Well, sure it was. Wow, what to do when you don't know what to do. Now, let me tune that up a little bit. That story I told you about. God put you in a situation where you won't know what to do. You have to go to Psalms 107, verse 23. Psalms 107, verse 23 says, These men that do business in great waters, these are seasoned sailors. Can you imagine what they must have looked like? Seasoned sailors, skin weathered by the wind and the sun, arms rippling with biceps and muscles from pulling in anchors, pulling in big nets, pulling up sails. These kind of men. Not sissy prissy. Strong he-men. Used to the struggle and the endurance of being a seasoned sailor. Psalms 100 and 
7, verse 23. These men that do business in great waters, they see the works of the Lord because he raises up the stormy winds. It lifts the ship as high as the heavens. It drops it down as low as the depths. And it said these seasoned sailors stagger to and fro like drunken men. And here's a little phrase that's stunning. They are at their wit's end. You ever been there? I promise you it's a journey every one of us have to take. We get into situation and circumstance, we don't know what to do. Everything we thought we were trained for, we did it, but it didn't work. It says they're at their wit's end. That means they've dispelled, expensed all of their finesse, and the storm's still raging. Wow. These men that do business in great waters, they see the works of the Lord. He, say he, being God, raises up the stormy winds. Is he trying to hurt those boys? Nope. He's trying to help them. They're at their wit's end. Then there's that word again, T-H-E-N. Then they cried unto the Lord in their distress. Oh, that little word, cry. That ain't the word cry. I dare you look up cry in the Hebrew. It means they screamed and screeched in agony. Grown, physical, strong, stout, seaworthy men. Screaming and screeching in agony. Then they cried unto the Lord in their distress. And he hears them and brings the storm to a calm. Wow. And they're brought into their desired port or haven. Then it says, oh, that man would praise God for his goodness. Don't you know those sailors didn't get back to the dock and go, well, we got that and done, didn't we? They were giving God glory for what he did. So what to do when you don't know what to do? Wow, these guys did everything they thought they knew what to do, but it didn't work. There's one more that I'll, I'll just share with you real brief because it's a holiday, Mother's Day, and I don't understand that mother has to cook the big meal. We ought to carry out to eat or do something for mother, don't you think? Aren't they wonderful mothers? Oh, man. My wife and I, we got two children, got five grandchildren, been married 54 years this year. Oh, man. When we had our first baby... You, you ask what the biggest baby was. Good gracious. He, he, he was huge himself. But anyway, that was pretty wild. Back then, we had real diapers. I know guys in Texas, they can gut a deer and can't change a diaper. <laughs> you know. Back then, we had real diapers. They got the thing now that looks like a sandwich wrapper. When we had our kids, it was the real stuff. I mean, you pinned it on. It was a blood sacrifice. Somebody's going to bleed when I change the diaper. Me or the boy. Well, somebody's going to bleed. And then you had to do something with it. I'll tell you what I did with it, honestly. I'm ashamed of it. I would drop it in the toilet till my wife got home. Yeah. Oh, man. You know, I don't know how it is with mothers. They, the baby can be in, in the room over there away and, and the, when they're little and the dad's sleeping. <laughs> sound like a hibernating bear. And the little baby can whimper. And the mother goes, baby's up. 
I mean, listen, car horn could be going off. <laughs> we wouldn't hear it. But th these mothers have this, 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 they have this thing. Oh, Lord. Women are different. I told you my wife and I have been married all these years. So one time she got a, I don't know, a, a cold or flu, whatever it was. And she's back there in her bed covered up. I'm in there in the recliner watching football. It could have been cage fighting. I'm not sure. <laughs> and I hear her down the hall, Bobby, Bobby. I said, oh, that's Carolyn. So I go down the hall, and I crack the door open like this, and she's laying in bed all covered up. And she said, would you do something for me? I said, yes, baby. I'll do, I'll do whatever. And I was thinking, well, she might need a drink of water. She might want a bath rag or something like that. Now, they're different. Here, I, I go in. I said, what is it, honey? What is it you want me to do? She looked up at me with big blue eyes and said, would you clean off the top of the refrigerator? <laughs> what? <laughs> I didn't even know we had one. <laughs> I got up there. I found my golf tees. I found out a whole bunch of stuff on top of the refrigerator. But where do these, you know, where do you, you know, just laid there and I guess thought, well, this would be a good project. <laughs> she went to a Maryland Hickey meeting one time. Her and some ladies from the church took off to Dallas or somewhere to a Maryland Hickey meeting. The kids were little then. And so, I, I know I've got to quit. I'm going to, I, instead of carrying the boys to get a hamburger or some cheeseburger or something, I thought, I'll just fix something for the boys myself. It's home alone. Bobby and the boys, they're just little kids like this. So I got in the cupboard or whatever that thing. There's some chicken, cream of chicken soup. Now back there then, you could buy a five-gallon bucket of potato chips. A five-gallon bucket of potato chips. You can't eat them till they get soggy down in the bottom. So I thought, I've got a plan. I'm going to heat that uh, cream of chicken soup, and I'm going to put those mushy, soggy potato chips in the bottom of the bowl, and then I'm going to put the cream of chicken on it instead of throwing the potato chips away. So I got the soggy potato chips in their bowl. I heated the chicken cream of chicken soup and I scooped it out and I can't you hear it it's a unique smell rotten grease and hot cream of chicken soup so I called the boys remember they're little now they're 54 and 46 now but they're little I said hey boys come on supper's ready oh here they came like little puppies and they plopped down in their seat. And I said, Lord, bless this food. And the oldest one picked up his spoon. And he took a bite. And he goes, Phew. The little one picked it up and he goes, Ugh, <laughs> And so me being the loving, gentle father as I am, I said to those boys, the oldest one, I said, Hey, boy, if you don't eat that, I'm going to bust your butt. <laughs> you know what he said? He said, Daddy, I'd rather have a whooping. (laughs) 
See, thank God for mothers. You don't get in dilemmas like that. So I, I, I tasted my where? See, I put that in my mouth. Oh, my goodness. Listen, salty stuff jumped up my throat. I, listen, I, go to, I said to my boys, I'm sorry. I carried that out there. I had a pen full of bird dogs. I mean, they'd eat a wet rag. I went out there and poured my concoction in the bird dog pen. They ran to the other side of the pen. The bird dogs wouldn't even eat that crap, that stuff. Anyway, off to the hamburger joint we went. Anyway, yeah. see, anyway, I'm trying to say thank God for mothers. They can do stuff right the first time, and it's just wonderful. Well, anyway, what to do when you don't know what to do. And then what to do when you don't want to do nothing. You remember when uh, King David comes back to Ziglag and Ziglag's burned? Everything he's labored for and loved is gone. Uh, this is the saddest story I can find. It says that these men wept. These are warriors. These are the elite. These are the rangers. These are the, the elite of the elite. It said they fall to the ground. They beat the ground and they cry till no sound will come from their voice. Over the tragedy and trauma they've experienced. Their law, everything they've loved and longed is gone. Their whole village is burned to the ground. And it says that David's men picked up stones to stone him. I suspect, I suspect if there's any place to give up, that would have been it. Just say, I'm not doing this anymore. What to do when you don't feel like doing nothing? The Bible says, but David encouraged himself in the Lord is God. What to do when you don't feel like doing nothing? Get with God. David encouraged himself in the Lord is God. Doesn't tell us what he did, and I'm thankful. If, if he told us what all he did, we'd have a seven formula for success. I think I could tell you what he did. I believe he did what he wrote about. I believe he offered the sacrifice of praise. When you need to do it at the most, it's when you feel like it the least. He didn't feel like getting up and praising God, but I'm sure he did. Then I believe he did that verse that I quoted earlier, Psalms 121, verse 1. He lifted up his eyes to the hills, and then he asked God some questions. Shall I pursue them? Shall I pursue and he said, you shall pursue them, you shall overtake them, and you will recover it all. And David did exactly that. What to do when you don't feel like doing nothing? That would have been a good place just to pull it in and say, I'm through with this. But David didn't let disappointment and disloyalty stop him. And God honored him. He got back everything was stolen from his village and all the villages around. Wow. Sometimes what the devil means the hardest, God will give you the best victories. Well, we've got to go. You said you're working? Where are you working? Uh, call center. What? Call center. call center. Can you give me some help? <laughs> I got an American Express card, and I needed to, some help from American Express. So I called the number, and I get somebody that said, la, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I said, hello? <laughs> Is this American? Oh, yeah, American Express. I said, I've called American Express, <laughs> and I'm talking from, to somebody in India. I couldn't understand one single word. Finally, I said, I need English. What's your name? He said, David. David. <laughs> Only word I heard out of the conversation was David. Something seems out of whack there, don't it, to you? Now, I didn't call Indian Express, but this outsource... Listen, I'm not against outsourcing, but get somebody that can, I mean, 
And my boys years ago bought me a Tom-Tom. One of these before the cars came out with GPSs. They bought me a Tom-Tom. And I programmed in my little Tom-Tom. Oh, I was so proud. I was techie. <laughs> and so I took off with my first Tom-Tom on the dash, ready to go, you know. So help me. I get out on the road and it says, I soy, proceed on the motorway. It's some Britain chick in there. I soy, proceed on the motorway. I don't need that. If you're an entrepreneur, somebody ought to come up with a redneck GPS. Go down yonder to the oak tree, take a ride at the trailer house. You couldn't get lost that away. But this, I say, proceed on the motorway. Anyway, now thank God they got other stuff. I remember when I got my first bag phone. You could bake potatoes with that thing, man. Good Lord. Anyway, I got to pray for you guys. I want to tell you something about your destiny. I said it a while ago. God's got big plans for the church. God's plan is to fill this whole earth with the knowledge of the glory of his son here's your great verse if you want it said the voice of one in the wilderness crying prepare you the way of the lord make straight in the desert a highway lower the mountains fill in the valleys make crooked ways straight because the glory of the lord will be revealed and all flesh shall see it together because the mouth of the lord has declared it that'd be a good testimony for this church you say make a road in the wilderness yes a desert and high, a highway in the desert See, this is a, yes, it's a desert as far as hearing and heeding the word of God. It needs to be blooming. So I, I'll tell you, the voice of one in the wilderness crying, prepare you the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert the highway, lower the mountains, fill in the valleys. And it said, then the glory of the Lord. So I, that's Isaiah 40, 3 through 5. I like verse 5. And the glory, say the glory, glory. of the Lord shall be revealed in all flesh shall sit together. All flesh means all flesh. Islamic, Hindu, Baptist. He's, going, he's got big plans for the church to fill this whole earth with the knowledge of his son. He's got big plans for you too. What is it? Take over this world. Yeah, his, he's not schizophrenic. He doesn't have a whole plethora of plans. His plan is found in Genesis 1:26. Let us make man in our own image. Let's give them kingdom authority. Well, God bless you. I want you to have a good, good life. Can you imagine this? You'll never face one single issue without Jesus facing it with you. Wow. Wow. He is a very present help in the times of distress and trouble. Lord, I thank you for all of your promises towards your people. And I thank you that they're yes, yes, and amen. I thank you that what you've uttered will come to pass. And I want to thank you that the word that goes out of your mouth will not come back empty and without purpose. It will accomplish what you sent it to do. Bless this church. Bless Zion. And I pray that you would help them to duplicate and replicate what you're doing across this city. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll tell you one of the things I think he's talking to you about is franchising. You've got to start duplicating what God's doing here across the city. Uh, I'm telling you, we, we've got to start doing that. We can't, we, we need to get what's going on here in other places. And uh, it'll really, really help. Okay, so the best way to say it is to franchise. What does that mean? 
It means if you go into, a, like we'll say McDonald's, you can go into one in Columbus, you can go to one in Cincinnati, they're both alike, aren't they? And that's what I'm talking about, about franchising. Years ago, I, Bill Johnson asked me about what to do with Bethel, and I told him the same thing, franchise. So that in, everybody would see Zion Fellowship, they'd know what they're going to get. They're not going to walk in and go, oh, Lord, I didn't know it had No. The, the teachings that you've got, franchise it around and start uh, fellowship churches. All right. Easy for me to say, isn't it? But God said he'll raise up every manner of workman. Yeah. All right. Good. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, I saw a whole bunch of angels, and they're up there, and they're just, they're, they're supposed to be singing, but they're giggling. <laughs> they're happy. And I think they're happy over what's happening in your heart. I'll tell you, I've seen happy angels, and I've seen angry angels. And I thank God, I saw a, a, a semicircle of happy angels. And I'll tell you why they're happy. Here's why they're giggling and happy. You are about to put them to work. They're dropping little leaflets of Psalms 104, verse 4. That's what those angels are doing. They're dropping Psalms 104, verse 4. They're ministering spirits sent down here to aid us who are heirs of salvation. They're happy because you're about to put them to work. Angels are mentioned 273 times in the Bible. Most of us in this room would be dead or mangled. If it hadn't been for an angel. They're ready to help us. Okay? That's why they're happy. Yeah. I'm glad they're happy. You want to see angels? You have the propensity to see angels. Most of you have seen them and didn't even recognize them. Yeah. Lord, I pray you'll open their eyes and let them see into the realm of the spirit. The realm of the spirit is more real than this one. Yeah, remember in 2 Kings when the young guy goes, ah, they're everywhere. And the prophet said, son, settle down. There's more that be with us than be with them. And he goes, one, two. And then God, he prayed for him. Lord, let him see. And his eyes were open. So the whole heaven's full of armies. Wow. There's more that be with us than that are gathered against us. Wow. God bless you. I want you to start doing something, okay? I want you to get up and start writing yourself a challenge every day, okay? Yeah, something you intend to get done that day for yourself. And it'll, it'll help you. Get you a yellow sheet of paper and start writing yourself a challenge every day. I'm going to do this. Yeah, okay? A little to-do list. It'll help you. It'll, yeah. Inactivity is deadly. We better have some goals, aims, and purposes. God bless you. Good. All right. Lord, thank you that you are who you say. Thank you you'll do what you've told us. Thank you we can trust you that everything we commit to you is in good hands. Isn't that good?